Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio, 88.3 FM. This is Chef Amy Sins, host of New Orleans by Mouth. Here in the studio today, I have two dear friends of mine. I have Chef Katie Eichert and Chef Gabe Hurt. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? So, y'all, I asked Katie to come in the studio, and she dragged Gabe with her. But I don't know if we're going to be able to squeeze any conversation out of Gabe. But we're going to talk to Katie for sure. And Katie's with Holy Moly Tacos. And I thought, it, you know... It's time to talk tacos. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Katie, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I see happening in the food world here in New Orleans is, you know, we are evolving and we're changing. And I feel like we have in the maybe last five years really embraced our love of the taco. Are you seeing that? Absolutely. You see more businesses popping up every day that are making Great tacos. So what do you think is the reason that New Orleans is all of a sudden on a taco trend? I think the nation in general is moving towards appreciating the taco as more than something that you just shove in your face when you're drunk. Like, I think people are appreciating the time it takes and the intricacies of making a really good taco and, like, all of the... Just kind of all the fresh flavors and stuff that it, I, I guess, you know, when I, I think taco night as a kid, taco night was ground beef, cheese. I would pick the lettuce off, right? Because, you know, the kids didn't want anything <laughs> green. And then um, maybe way too much sour cream, a whole lot of gu- guacamole. And then we would put even more like queso cheese on top. It is not... That was junk food dinner, right? I love tacos like that, (laughs) but I think that there's more, and Americans are starting to appreciate that as a whole, for sure. So, you know, whenever we're we're talking tacos, and I think it's a lot like when we're debating po' boys and we say, okay, it's all about the bread, and then it's all about the stuff that goes on it, and then for me, a good po' boy is also about how many napkins I have to use to clean up the mess that I make with that (laughs) po' boy. So when we're talking tacos, you know, what are the components that we go, these are the most important things that make the dish what it needs to be? The most important thing I would say is the tortilla because that's the biggest component of it. I think that a lot of people don't like corn tortillas because the corn has a tendency to congeal once it gets cold. So that's why I like I have a big emphasis on making them to order. Uh, I also have, I love flour tortillas, but I think that packaged flour tortillas are kind of lacking in flavor a little bit. And so when we say they're lacking in flavor, is it that they need more salt or they need a... It's like the a, lard. The lard. <laughs> oh, now, now you have piqued my interest. So if we're making a tortilla, what are the things that go into it to make it delicious? Well, the the tortillas that I make, I use maseca because I don't have a mill that eventually I would like someday to have a brick and mortar where I milled my own uh, corn, like from Mexico for the tortillas. But... Uh, right now, I use a product called Maseca. Um, they all have, have a product also called Nixtamasa, which tastes much closer to, like, the freshly milled corn that you would get in Mexico or a taqueria. Um, 
with with a mill close by. So so if so are you mixing corn and water and lard? Are you putting any any corn tortillas? I don't put lard in. Okay. Corn tortillas are just masteca, salt, and water. That's all it is. And then I um I'll roast beets and puree them and put them in there to make them pink and uh I'll blanch spinach and puree it and put it in there to make it green like just to kind of make it pop, make it Instagrammable. <laughs> <laughs> to make it pretty. Yeah. Because, because I imagine that without the um without that sometimes it it just kinda adds to what I call New Orleans the land of brown food. We, <laughs> we love brown food and it's delicious, but yeah. it's always not beautiful on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, so the flour tortilla, you know, are you, when you're saying lard, are, is that something kind of like when you're making a shortbread or a biscuit, you're just kind of crumbling it in or are you melting it in? What are you using to, to pull that tortilla together if you're doing a flour one? Yeah, you want it to be melted. Um, you, it's basically baking powder, lard, salt, and uh, water, and flour. I don't make those because those have to be hand-rolled because of the gluten in them. They tend to shrink back a lot, but I, I appreciate them. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I love a good—I am uh, any kind of uh, bread and gravy girl, so if it is something that I can dip into something— so if it's bread, a tortilla, you know, a pita, a roti, whatever, then um, I'm already in love with it. But I think it's interesting what you said, you know, when you're making these things at home and it kind of pulls back a little. I think as as home cooks, we don't always realize the the science behind why what we're cooking doesn't look like the packaged ingredients that we're, we're getting, you know, at the grocery store and why ours tastes different and feels different and it could be just the flour it could be how you roll it it could be how you cook it or now we know the secret ingredient is lard <laughs> <laughs> so um whenever you're um you know doing your events for for Hole mole um and you are coming up with a menu like where do you go for the inspiration of what to put in these tacos i Instagram is one of my inspirations because I follow a lot of great Mexican chefs. Um, also, I have a lot of cookbooks that I really like. I really like uh, Tacos by Alex Stupak is a great book. Uh, the Gorilla Cut Tacos cookbooks. I like Diane Kennedy's books a lot. I also kind of draw from my previous experience in restaurants um, and ingredients that I work with that I really like a lot. And a lot of times I just go to the farmer's markets and kind of like base a dish based off an ingredient that I can get there. Or like the Hong Kong market, I can just like walk around in the aisles for hours and draw inspiration from that. Yeah, I love that place. And I, I talk to chefs on the show all the time about it because when I first discovered it, I was the person that would just buy things and I'd just based on the picture and take it home and open it and go, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder what I just purchased. And um, I think after going and getting more comfortable with the space, you realize that there are people that can kind of point you around. And if you look at what everybody else has in their shopping cart, you know if what you're getting is something people really want yeah. or not. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, so when you come up with this inspiration or you're at the farmer's market or Hong Kong market and you pull all these ingredients together, have you ever like made a dish that you're like, I think this is going to be great. And then you put it together and you're like, hmm, 
no, maybe this one <laughs> is not going to work. Or um, it required just a whole lot of work to tweak it to make it um, what you think. Yeah, that happens all the time. So, um, so oh. Gabe is, is chiming in and he just said, tell him about the octopus. So tell us about the octopus. Yeah, we had a uh, Spanish octopus that we were um, making ceviche out of one time. And it obviously has like a pretty rubbery texture and rolls around a lot when you cut it. Uh, so I cut it a certain way and he ended up having to stay back while I was hauling all this stuff to the pop-up and he like cut all my cuts in half because it wasn't the greatest texture for a tostada. It was that a little... took probably like an hour because it was a good clip of octopus. Oh, well, and you know, that's something that we don't cook a lot with here in New Orleans. I love octopus when it's cooked beautifully and when I can get it, but it's... But if it's it, wrong, it's wrong. If it's wrong, <laughs> it's wrong. And, you know, even as a chef here in New Orleans, I have not had a lot of opportunity to cook octopus because if I'm going to my local farmer's market or my local seafood guy... They're not selling me octopus. They're selling me shrimp, snapper, maybe crab squid. meat. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, so how'd you even learn how to work with it? Uh, we cooked octopus at the restaurant Avo that I work at, worked at. I just recently left there. It's a great restaurant. Um, their octopus dish is fantastic. They've really got the recipe nailed down there. I hadn't worked with it a lot raw before, so um, it was a learning experience. <laughs> One of the things that I've heard from um, several chefs is that um, by it, I do this technique with my collard greens. Like sometimes you have collard greens that are super tough, and I'll put them in the freezer for about three hours, huh. and then I take them out, and that quick freeze and quick thaw breaks down the cell walls, uh, and all of a sudden, boom, your collard greens cook instantly instead of having to pressure cook or long cook them. Yeah. And I've heard that, you know, octopus and squid can have that that same kind of benefit if you get it frozen versus fresh because it there's something that happens in that thawing process that changes the texture. Is that kind of what you see? Yeah, that's absolutely true. A lot of people look at the Spanish octopus and it's frozen and it, they're just like, oh, that's an inferior product, but it does it does help break it down a lot. So you don't, they smash it on a rock, you, you get it in the freezer. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think it, it brings a good point. So many times, you know, when we look at, you know, we're watching TV and we're learning about cooking and, you know, the home cook is reading cookbooks or newspaper articles or magazine articles everybody's saying, okay, we want fresh, we want local, we want nearby, which we do. But, you know, I feel like, especially when I'm working with something like shrimp and their big giant shrimp, you know, the difference between a shrimp that was caught at sea and is brought to my seafood guy three days later versus a shrimp that may have been flash frozen as soon as it was caught, you know, they're there's a, a difference, but it's not the kind of difference where I'm going to automatically turn down my nose. 
But if I'm making stock, I want the fresh one because I don't want gray heads on my shrimp to discolor my stock. So are you finding that whenever you're reaching out for stuff that sometimes you can get incredible product that is local and fresh and seasonal, but also product that maybe um, had to to be held in order to get it to you at the right temperature? Nah. Mm. No. No. All right. Well, <laughs> hey, I was throwing that out there. Um, I find when I go to the West We Go shrimp lot, uh, one of the things that I'll notice is I can tell right away if their shrimp was frozen the night before versus if they brought it in that day. And um, sometimes if I'm just doing big, I want big giant shrimp, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But other times if I need to serve it head on, shell on, you know, it makes a big difference in uh, how and it the was aesthetic, held. Yeah. 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 Um, so whenever we're talking holy moly tacos and earlier you were saying, okay, I, um, I I'm hope and aspire to have a brick and mortar. So since you don't have your own location, where are people even going to find you to come try all these tacos? We are Wednesday in the courtyard of the Abbey, all the way in the back, uh, 1123 Decatur Street. And then uh, that's 5 to 9 p.m. And uh, J&J's in the Bywater at the corner of France and Dauphine Street. We're right on the corner. You can't miss us. Uh, That's 6 p.m. till we sell out, usually about 10-ish. So whenever you're you're doing these pop-ups and things, um, how long does it take for you to even get ready? Because I would imagine in a business like that, it, you, you spend a lot of days sourcing, prepping, and getting ready. It's not the most efficient <laughs> process, for sure. It's a labor of love. Uh, it probably takes me about an hour, an hour and a half of researching. I, I mean, obviously, depending on on what the menu is and if I've done it before, uh, probably about four, two two to four hours of shopping. I usually hit quite a few places. Uh, maybe about six hours of prep, something like that. Yeah. And then, so, how many tacos can you serve in one night? Have you ever counted? I think the most we've sold is like a hundred. All right. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, on the right night, I, I may be able to eat 100 tacos. <laughs> Especially right now because I'm supposed to be on a diet and I think I'm eating more tacos <laughs> as a result of combating and arguing against the diet. <laughs> so I know that oftentimes y'all change the menu pretty regularly. So for for people who may come on a, a Wednesday one location and may go to the other location, they're not going to always get the same thing. So what are some of the types of tacos that y'all are serving? Lamb barbacoa and cochinita pibil. Those are like two very strong go-tos that we've had for a long time. I also love making mole verde because it's simple and bright. Uh, And I usually serve that with chicken. Sometimes I'll make pork meatballs for that. What else? I love our pompano taco that we've been doing a lot of it kind of has like a vietnamese style slaw and peanuts and sesame seeds uh and i just started doing like a korean fermented chili paste aioli with it gochujang um and i was pretty excited the last time that we did that i think it worked out really well well so you said um you did you said there was a green sauce of something verde that you were putting on 
one of the... Salsa Verde pretty much goes on everything that so, I make. <laughs> so, you know, I think that there are people out there who are not familiar with all the different condiments that, you know, we as chefs talk about and, and you know, maybe there there's, you know, our paste picante sauce, our uh, different salsas we get in local restaurants. So if they were to come in and order, like explain to them what the, um, the, the sauce, like explain that, that sauce to us. The, it has, um, dried chipotles that I toast and soak and I char tomatillos and garlic in the skins and I char onions and I puree that with salt and a little tiny bit of honey and, um, cilantro and it's pretty like bright and earthy and a little bit smoky from the chipotles and it just really marries well with a lot of things i think it gives a depth of flavor that's great so when we're we're saying you know tacos it is not always mexican inspired it may not it, you know a lot of times we think tex-mex here yeah. when we think taco but you know you're saying that you have one that has you know all these other flavors from other cultures are there rules that you say this is what it has to have to be a taco? I think that you have to consider the tortilla when you when you think about building a dish in a taco. But no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's rules as to as far as like what cuisines. I made a corned beef taco with cabbage and like fried potatoes that was pretty excellent too, and like a mustard seed and tomatillo salsa. And we've done, what else have we done? Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's no rules. You can pretty much put anything in it. But you, you, you still have to consider the, the corn and the flavor of that and build off of that, I think. So, you know, a lot of times when we're saying taco, we're saying the delivery method almost to get the filling to you, you know, by... Yeah. by and I imagine there's a lot of thought process because... Sometimes a taco is only like a couple of bites, you yeah. know, and uh, to be able to pack all those flavors, balance all those flavors and deliver them in a, a tortilla, I, that's pretty complex, right? Yeah, I've worked. I mean, I've worked with chefs that and that have involved me in the creative process of building dishes and thinking about textures and flavors and the way they work together and components. And they also have, like, we have that ingredients book, and that's pretty great. It's, uh, like, a bunch of chefs have collaborated on, like, you see a shiitake mushroom, and you see all the things that go with it. Like, they'll say ginger or hoisin or, you know, whatever. And I want that book. It's a great book. Well, we might have to get it for you for a birthday <laughs> present. <laughs> but, you know, it, and that it makes great sense to say, okay, so this ingredient works with A, B, C, and D. It's almost like picking from a word bank from your school test. Yeah. You know, like you say, okay, this, and then I can circle this, this, and this, and we know that those flavors are going to go together. Um, do you see benefit in adding something rogue that would not normally go with that? I mean, if you ever watch Top Chef, that's usually when they're, like, super like stoked on the person when they just like do, pull something out of left field that doesn't sound like it makes sense and they take a chance on it and it's amazing. So I think that's pretty cool for sure. So um, I'm going to brag about you for a minute to my listeners out there. Um, 
For all of you who were here in New Orleans during that freeze, um, that terrible time where we were all freezing and half of us, our power went out and we're all like huddled in the middle of whatever the most interior room of our house is because that was me in the quarter. Um, Luckily, I have a very large husband who was, you know, I could huddle up next to. (laughs) But there was a point where that very large husband got the flu. It was freezing cold and... I couldn't leave. I could not get myself to leave the house. And all of a sudden, y'all, I got this Facebook message from Katie that said, I will be delivering hot soup tonight (laughs) because she did. And I said, I'm going to have a double order. (laughs) And then the next week I ordered a double order. So, you know, I love that you have the flexibility right now with Holy Mole to kind of be wherever you want to be with J&Js and, um, and the Abbey and stuff. I, I tried to be there and be consistent for all of my customers. Like, it means a lot to me to be a reliable for them. And I, I do, I, I like the idea of being flexible as an entrepreneur because it leaves my options open. So what's your next step? Do, are you, do you have anything... You know, up your sleeve or, or any any crazy ideas you're looking at throwing out into the universe? Her y'all, her eyes are getting real big. She's like, I, mean, I, I can't tell you these things. Okay, so that that's a she's gonna release that big news if there's ever big news on a different show. Is that what that look is, Katie? Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> well, so. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I like to ask all the chefs that come on the show. Um, and if I do, in fact, win the Powerball, there may be no money left for me because I always ask chefs, if I win the Powerball and I were to come to to uh, Katie and Gabe and say, all right, y'all, I won the Powerball. We can go anywhere in the world for a week and study their food. Where do y'all want to go? If if you won the Powerball, I'm I loved I love going to Mexico, but I would rather go to Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia because that's like more out of reach for me. So that would be like probably first on the list. And what is it about their food that kind of piques your interest? That's the food that I like to eat when I'm off of work. I like the flavors. I like the brightness, the lightness. That it's cheap and healthy and super accessible and the flavors just pop and I like big flavors. Awesome. So Gabe, I'm going to put you on the spot and make you come to the microphone once. He's and, going to Italy. And tell us where you're going to go and then we'll see if uh, your wife really knows where you want to go. I, I would go to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and what what um, do you want to study in Italy? Uh, I'd like to study uh, like pizza. Uh, I was a pizzaiola for a while. Uh, I've been a, I was a sous chef at a pretty prominent restaurant down here that does Italian food. So pizza, pasta, uh, charcuterie. Uh, I have pretty good experience doing like salamis and uh, not prosciuttos, but brasalas, copas. Uh, I'd like to go over there and learn how to really hone that in. <clears throat> well, you know, I love that. And I love that all of us, you know, in this industry, we are lifetime learners. And 
you know, just when we think that we've mastered something, we're proven wrong, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and there's always something new being with the world and access to flavors and ingredients being so global that kind of distracts us and we're like, oh, that's shiny. Let's go over there and look at that and see how we can incorporate it. So, um, you know, I think it's exciting to hear where y'all want to go and what you would want to do. So my last question is, if you were, Katie, marooned on an island, okay? Okay. And I'm going to give you fire. Okay. Okay. And you have water, so you don't need to worry about those two things. What other ingredients do you want to have with you? A pig. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else? A pig. Salt. Salt. (laughs) Uh, No rum? (laughs) uh, Maybe maybe tequila. (laughs) What about you, Gabe? Uh, Cow. How many ingredients do we get? Just three. Oh. Three things can be there with you. Uh, cow. Are we on the same island? Uh, no, no. <laughs> you cannot share the pig and the cow. No. Uh, so, cow, uh, salt, and rum. Rum. All right. <laughs> We're gonna get hurt today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you can catch all the fish you want, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I might even say there might be a way for us to to get the salt out of the water of the ocean, and then that may give us an extra ingredient. Um, but I don't know what I would want as that extra ingredient. So many ingredients. There are so Hard. many things. And I think, it, you know, it's funny because we, we're, we're like, oh, we have to think about that. But then we realize that we as Americans eat a lot of the same stuff every day, yeah. right? Yeah. And and we're eating the same things over and over again. But then when we have to pick what we want, it's not those things always. <laughs> so, well, y'all, we're almost out of time. But Katie, I want you to tell everybody again real quick how they can find you and how they can come and eat your delicious tacos. We're on Instagram at Holy Moly Tacos, all lowercase, all one word. And on Facebook, we're at Holy Moly Tacos, the the one in New Orleans, not the one in Texas or California. Um, <laughs> the real one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and Wednesdays, we are at the Abbey in the courtyard way in the back, uh, 5 to 9 p.m. And at J&J's in the Bywater, the corner of Dauphine in France, 6 p.m. till sellout. Awesome. And I highly recommend that y'all like her Facebook page. You can see the menu as it changes and what's happening. And if there's any crazy um, freezes or uh, soup <laughs> home <laughs> delivery. So we do thank- tamales once in a while, too. We'll deliver them. Ooh, that's good to know. Well, y'all, thank you so much. You've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host, Chef Amy Sins. We've had Katie Eichert and Gabe Hurt from Holy Moly Tacos on today. And until next time, ciao.